Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you from 19th century England for some reason, I'll be your host, Davithan Dave Star. Joining me as always, he's ready to make a stand, it's Jonathan Paul Ellistar. How's it going, bub? David Star, David Star, David Star. I'm doing well, buddy. How about yourself? Nicely done. I should have worked on my like Victorian vernacular for this one. I, I didn't think I'd need to. But apparently oh we should have done that. So apologies, listeners, for us not speaking all uh, Sherlock Holmesy on this one. <laughs> I don't think that there's a level of Sherlock Holmes etiquette in terms of a vernacular that anybody is really accustomed to or ready for. So I feel like you're doing everybody a good service of just, just sort of being like, that completely. "Yeah, I'm trying my best, guys. Here's what I got. It's not going to be Victorian." We're all right with that. Yeah. This, I mean, podcasts aren't exactly inherently Victorian either, so I feel like we're okay. <laughs> we're a steampunk podcast. I guarantee they're out there, but it Can doesn't you... mean, yeah, we're not doing it. I mean, whoever's listening to this, like on an old Victrola, mm-hmm. how? How did yeah, you let us accomplish know. this? Surprise. Just how impressed. You... Yeah. I'm just, I'm fascinated. I want to see some type of a how-to. I would love it if there was like a hipster guy out there that would like, sold artisanal cheeses on the side but also like every week when our podcast came out he just like reverse engineered this digital podcast into like a clay pot pressing with like a needle <laughs> on a on a on a stick oh god <clears throat> so that in like four thousand years that clay pot will still be around and people can listen to the 97th episode of saturday morning cartoons that would be accurate that's crazy just press that down on some wax yeah and somehow Get ready somehow 97 episodes in uh, I don't know how we missed this one. We have to give it up to a uh, listener suggestion for this one. We're going to be talking JoJo's Bizarre Adventure tonight. Uh, listeners, if you have no clue what we're going to be talking about, even though I just said the title, then you're right in there with us. Because we, I mean, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I had no clue what we were getting into. Did you, have you even heard of this? I have heard of this. I have never watched this. So this was my first exposure to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which posits the question, how? bizarre is this actual adventure that is a good question and hopefully we'll answer that one tonight uh, on tonight's episode but before we get into that do you want to walk us through some of the uh, history of this bizarre adventure sure thing okay. so jojo's bizarre adventure or jojo no kimyo na boken is a japanese manga series written illustrated by hirohiku araki it was originally serialized in weekly shonen jump from 1986 to 2004 it's a good this track record there yeah before being transferred to the monthly magazine Ultra Jump in 2005. So JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is currently the second largest manga series with its chapters collected into 115 Tankobon volumes and counting. Uh, in 2012, an anime television series produced by David Production began broadcast on Tokyo MX, covered the first two story arcs of the manga in 26 episodes. A second 48-episode season covering the third arc was broadcast from 2014 to 2015. Now, from 2003 to 2005, Super Techno Arts released both OVA, that is Original Video Animation, series in North America, Viz Media, released and translated the third part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in North America from 2005 to 2010, and began publishing English versions of the first two arcs in 2015. So... This seems like it's almost kind of relatively new for yeah. some American audiences. If you weren't willing to listen to the dub version of it or the, the subtitled version of it, if you were waiting for the dub, you're in the, you're in the time frame where this is applicable to you. If you watched the OVA, congratulations. You get to pull rank on everybody right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you can, you can write us an email and explain to us what the hell's going on in this show. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but that was kind of a lengthy history because there's a lot that kind of goes on with that. I mean, you saw that it had a 20-year run just in Shonen Jump, and then it's continued since then in another form, but only recently have we seen it in sort of the animated version of it. So it's come to our attention recently, thanks to listener Patrick Cheney on Facebook. So Patrick, we want to say thank you very much for suggesting Thanks, Patrick. And whatever happens in the next hour or so is all on you, buddy. So <laughs> buyer beware, I guess. Let's, uh, let's jump into the synopsis here a little bit so we can kind of give you a, a broad overview of what JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is all about. Dave, what's going on with this? So JoJo's Bizarre Adventure tells the story of the Joestar family, a family whose various members discover they are destined to take down supernatural forces using unique powers that they possess. 
The manga is split up into eight unique parts, each following the story of one member of the Joestar family who inevitably has a name that can be abbreviated to the titular Jojo. For example, Jonathan Joestar, or Jotaro Joestar. The first season of the anime adaptation aired in Japan in October of 2012, with episodes 1 through 9 covering the Phantom Blood arc. This first part follows a young man named Jonathan Joestar, who becomes involved in a battle against Dio Brando, who uses the power of a mysterious stone mask to become a vampire. Spoiler alert in uh, retrospect, <laughs> but that's what happens in the first part. So we, we actually watched a couple episodes tonight. Um, I got to watch a little bit more than Sean, but we'll talk about that once we get to the plot. So we watched the first overall episode, which was Dio the Invader, and that's one that takes place back in like late 19th century England, right. and it introduces the two kind of like uh, protagonist and antagonist. We also watch one that occurs, it's like the third part, so it's like three generations later. And uh, we're going to compare and contrast kind of the, uh, the visual style, the storytelling style of both of them, because they're, they're related, but they're fairly different. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a cool little contrast, so we'll get into that too. But before we do any of that, let's talk about that theme song. Sean, buddy, what was your, what was your reaction to this theme song? I listened to this theme song twice, okay. and it wasn't until the very end of the theme song, there's sort of this moment where they say JoJo. And, and again, this is my, my first time having any experience or any uh, exposure to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And so for some reason, that kind of JoJo hook that's at the very, very end of it, where they sort of strike the pose, right. um, I don't know, that, that resonated with me. Up until that point, the theme song was enjoyable, and I, I, I dug it, but there wasn't anything that kind of uh, stuck in my head as any kind of an earworm. I, 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 loved, I liked the visuals, and it kind of gave me a great setup for some of the things that were about to happen. Uh, and it really kind of felt like the theme song itself gave you sort of a, in terms of the first episode, it kind of almost abbreviated or gave you a Cliff Notes version of what the narrative that you were about to watch. And so that was sort of helpful to, to be able to kind of digest those things as they were happening because, you know, you're watching them in the theme song and then it's, they do a very good job of kind of calling back to those during that episode. And so sort of seeing the translation from the theme song to that first episode uh, was very helpful for me as a new viewer. But it was really just that sort of like loud screaming Jojo at the very end that, uh, that was stuck in my you. head. Yeah. yeah, I really, there was the first pass that I had on this, I thought to myself, there's no possible way that I'm going to be running around my house screaming this. Right. And then the second time I was like, uh-oh, something might get stuck in my head. And I, I haven't yet listened a third time, so I'm... I'm I'm resisting the urge to just kind of start screaming this in my place. Yeah, for me, it wasn't really the earworm, but just like the, the energy of it and the pace, the pacing of it. Um, I just wrote down, you know, it, was, it felt like an epic kind of action adventure theme song. Like it, it was really right. fitting with something. And I put it, I said it was on par with like a Cowboy Bebop or even a Johnny Quest as far as the theme songs go. Like the pacing of it, the in, uh, instrumentals that were used and how they were kind of, you know, choreographed together. Um, I really just like the, the tone of it. And I, again, I di it didn't like sink itself into my memory that deep that I could just play it back, but I'd definitely like to go back and listen to it again because it's just like a very enjoyable theme song. And it, I feel like it kind of set the tone for what we were about to get into. Whether it matched up well with what we eventually got or not is something we can talk about. But I thought <laughs> it was an introduction. It was a, it was a good one. It was solid. Yeah. You can't go wrong just screaming JoJo at the end of it. So. Oh my God. So this one's uh. going to be, the plot's going to be I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it in a second, but let's, let's talk character design here first. Um, we're introduced to a couple of different groups right at the outset, and it kind of sets up this, this running theme, at least throughout the first episode, where it's two, two different factions or two different families that are interacting in, in different kinds of ways. So that's our first introduction to it. What, what most struck you about the visual design of these characters when we first see them? The character design for me was uh, very classic and traditional anime. They had a couple moments where they had some of these still frames where it, it sort of showed certain characters' intent or maybe sort of their emotional charge that they had behind them, which I found was very enjoyable. And then there were these weird kind of uh, screens that they had for certain characters where it was like arrows that were stacked on top of each other that sort of seemed to be kind of like moving towards a, a point or a conclusion about a specific character. And I, I don't think I have ever really seen that 
in an anime before. And, and that style was different. I, 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 you know, watching it the first time, I thought, oh, is it kind of pushing me towards a, a conclusion or like a realization or an idea or how I should feel about a certain character? Or is it just sort of showing uh, maybe some of their internal turmoil or, or what their thought process or that they're having a conflicting um, internal apologia at that moment? I wonder if that was, if that was more to like uh, emulate the sort of the manga style of storytelling where it's like you can have the frames that are set aside, but then to make sure that you have the character and the reader's attention focused in a certain direction or like moving in a certain direction. I wonder if it was, it was I didn't really pick up on it. Um, but I'm wondering if that's maybe kind of what they were going for there. Hmm. But that's yeah, interesting I mean, I that could you pick up. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I could definitely see that that was something that they, they used in terms of carrying it over from the original manga right. into, the, into the actual series. So, yeah, it was cool. So I, I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed those moments, as I think I always do, where you know, we have this sort of a still frame, as I mentioned, and then there's sort of a, like a wash of light that's over the character. Right. Where... Uh, we see this very early on with this the older the older man, um, where he kind of has this purple kind of like black wash of light, and he gets like very glowing beady eyes, and almost to the and it's giving his internal monologue about what he's thinking about, you know, because in that moment he thinks that or the the person that he is standing next to thinks that he's there to save them, but he's like no 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 I'm. I'm here to loot the shit out of you. Yeah, and you can kind of tell because the way that they designed this guy is like bald, wrinkled, old, creepy sounding. With, he basically walks, with, up, walks up on the side of like a carriage wreck with bodies all over the place. And he's, his first right. thought is basically like, oh, they're rich. I'm going to just go steal all their, their jewels. And he's got like, you know, he's got the, the nasty like rotten teeth kind of poking out of all like half a dozen teeth yeah. that are just, they look gold. And I don't know how you get wooden gold, but that was the, the texture and, and look. The aesthetic. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you look at this guy and you're like, all right, he's definitely not a great, a great guy. So, but it was cool touch to have that, like that extra layer of just like, oh, his internal monologue is also terrible. So what was your thought about some of the character design? Because we have, we have the characters that are in here that have sort of that like weird traditional blue kind of, per, uh, they have that weird kind of blue blackish hair. Yeah. And so obviously that's something that, doesn't occur in the real world you would hope and yeah. so when you when you see those colors i i kind of always that makes me think older 90s uh anime and i guess i had exposure to that like i used to watch uh heroic legends of Arislan, and there were a couple other series that were back in that time that i used to own on vhs in like the <laughs> mid 90s i worked for a blockbuster video at, at a point in time Nothing for two years so hey they tried to liquidate and get rid of all that stuff and it was a dollar so I just bought him and brought him home. Nice. No, for me, I, I like the design. I thought it was cool to see kind of the, the somewhat realistic body types and faces. Like they weren't very, it wasn't cartoonish. So you're not watching a cartoonish animation, even though this is a fairly, you know, relatively recent uh, show. But it is really crisp and really clean and incredibly like brightly colored. Everything is kind of this like pastel colored. And there's no, like, even when they, they go from the heights of sort of like a Downton Abbey kind of setting into like what's supposed to be more of like the, the dirty Victorian England kind of setting or, or Edwardian or I don't even know what era they're in. But it's never like an accurate depiction because that place and that era was fucking filthy. And like, it, <laughs> there's nothing in this that looks like they were like down in the muck and the mud and the, the, the horse manure or anything like that. It, so even in like the dirtiest places, everything looks pristine and beautiful. It's really well animated, really well drawn. Everything has kind of a very light touch to it. So like all the outlines and stuff, it's a very like thin, a light pen stroke. But then to Sean's point, like there's, there's some oddities, like the, the uh, Jonathan Joestar character has like bright blue hair and the antagonist character, Dio, has like these fiery reddish orange eyes. And there's just some stuff that's, it's just enough to make it so that you don't think you're watching like an animated um, drama series. There's just enough there to just be like, no, this is still an anime. We're still getting into some crazy weird shit. And there is some crazy weird shit that kind of like happens in the background. That's I like the way it was animated, not too much, but just enough to let you know there was like a mystical element. And basically what I'm talking about is uh, this, this mask that we see. Ooh, ahead, this, mask is, this mask is great. I like it because it's just yeah. enough to let you know it's like always kind of in the background. It does it's, just enough that you're just like, that's not like a normal thing to do for a mask. It's just creepy enough yeah. where it holds your attention every time 
it becomes the focus of a scene right. or anytime blood is splattered around the mask you know it, it it does a good job of drawing attention to the uniqueness of that artifact yeah and if you were paying attention to the synopsis you can kind of figure out why eventually that will come into play it doesn't in this episode because obviously it's the first one but and i sometimes wonder that you know we i loved your description about sort of the the very thin lines mm-hmm. uh to kind of do this and for a lot of the the characters that we had in this the the ancillary characters they're very realistic, very realistic yeah. depictions of all these people. And then I, I wonder for, for Joestar and for Dio, if the reason that they had sort of this very eccentric hair or very, you know, biting eyes, if it was just to help further establish and kind of allow them to be sort of separate, yet at the same time, very equal to, to everything, more as a distinction. Yeah, I could see that as like the other people. separating them from the background characters because there's, there's a lot of like unnamed, just like rabble that's always in the background. Oh boy. But there's, there's a lot of scamps. There's a lot of scamps. A lot of, a lot of scamps, scamps running around. And cut purses. Uh, and they're just, they're also very like well-dressed though. So they're in like the three-piece suit and they've got like the, the vests and the brightly colored ties or bow ties and like the little hats and stuff. But some of them are still jerks. Like they're still bullies. They still pick on women. They still laugh at, at JoJo all the time for, for just like a variety of things. And these are fairly grown up, like probably late teens, maybe early 20s, probably late teens, I'd say, at this point. I felt, I've, honestly, I felt early 20s. I was uncomfortable I don't when think we that, get I don't the think plot. they were supposed to be. I think they were drawn older than how old they were supposed to be. But it was hard to tell because like nobody's going to school. Nobody's really starting a job. They're both living at, um, they're both living under their, their father's roof uh, in separate separate buildings when this story opens because we might as well get into the plot now, right? So let's, let's twist and turn into this. So it's 1868 in England and you come upon the scene of this overturned carriage where there, like we said, there's bodies just laying in the mud and it's this, this somewhat rotten toothless old thief that comes upon the, the noble's cart and he's just like, Oh, let's Marlon just... Brando. <laughs> Marlon Brando creeps up out of the grave and just starts to loot the place. And he's with like a fairly young, attractive woman who she's more concerned with like the state of the, you know, the people that are laying in the middle of the road. Well, and, and, and rightfully so, because she suddenly hears a baby cry from the, the main horse drawn carriage. Yeah. And she, she hears, says like, look, her mother died to protect him, but the baby's still alive. And meanwhile, the guys over there pulling a ring and a watch off of the, off of the man, presumably the, the baby's father. But then guess what? In a twist, it turns out that the man's not actually dead. He's just kind of like, shell shocked i guess which i thought yeah. i thought he was gonna have the stereotypical like last gasp like oh you came to save my son his name is jonathan and then just like die no because you cut to a few minutes later where he thanked the guy he's like i owe you this everlasting debt or whatever and then it cuts to 12 years later and the dad's totally fine jonathan's grown up until like strong oh i guess if it's 12 years later and he was a baby yeah he'd only be 12 years old oh man they're not drawn like 12 years old at all that's a little bit of a mindfuck. Not at all. I, I didn't even get that because it was like the way that they're drawn, they look like they're probably late teens, maybe even early 20s. So they look that very means, grown that up. That means that everybody else that's in there is maybe within like the 11 to 15 right. age range. Right. And that's, to me, that's, that's even that's worse much. because of some of the actions that occur during this, especially in defense of women. Right. Uh, that, oh, thinking, I, I was uncomfortable regardless of age but now that the age is younger and that they had these thoughts and feelings at a younger age when we discuss them i'm still (laughs) going to be continually freaked out now i'm even more freaked out yeah it's kind of like a stephen king kind of like like an it where they have the the younger kids when they go after it and then when they come back as adults and they go after it again it's kind of that thing because this this episode jumps around you mean pennywise yeah exactly yeah old old what's his name pennywise (laughs) yeah i couldn't think of the guy that played him Tim Curry. I almost said Tim Meadows. That would have been Tim a completely Me- different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Meadows is Pennywise the Clown. The ladies' man oh, as boy. That was a Pe- scary movie. Hey, what's up, girl? Hey, what's up, Wanna girl? Wanna come down in like, this sewer? Look like someone shoved two fine hands down the back of your dress. <laughs> How do we go from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Tim Meadows shows up. Uh, we are just doing a lot of references tonight. Yeah. This is great. But no, so this, this episode jumps through time quite a bit. There's 1868 when JoJo and his dad have that accident. And then the bulk of it takes place in 1880. And then at the very end, it says, you know, on our next episode, we're going to jump seven years later. So the, the crux of this entire episode is the relationship between 
Jojo, who is uh, an heir to like a very wealthy family. There, they, he grows up in a mansion, basically all by himself, with just like him, his dad, his dog Danny, and his servants. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Dio, who you're not even introduced to yet. You you are introduced to him through the thief Brando, who in 1880 is basically on his, on death's doorstep, and it's just Brando. His his wife has passed away, and then Dio is the kid who basically wants nothing to do with his dad. He just wants to get out of the house, go off on his own, and then just kind of like take his anger out upon the world. And he starts with Jojo. So I thought it was interesting that Dio actually ends up in the care of the Joe Stars because Sir Joe Star owed Brando that he owed him something for saving his son's life, basically, his and his son's life. So then. Right. I, can we talk about how they kind of meet when, when Dio rolls up to the Joe Star mansion and like their first interaction? How insane yeah. this guy is? Well, yeah, this is this is insane. Uh, so he rolls up in a horse-drawn carriage, kicks the door out immediately. Style. I'm not talking, not talking like kicks it out like oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna nudge this out of the way a little bit. Like just high kicks this door open, it's gone. jumps out, and has sort of the classic like superhero landing. Yeah. Where like he kind of like you know he's sort of like in a squat kind of like a thrust position and there's like a and nice there's spotlight that, on him and like everything's glistening and shiny. There's there's that little bit of like air that's like from where he hits on like the brick that kind of goes like like out from like where his feet are to kind so of be like cool. ooh this guy exactly Deadpool and and like, it's funny because it's like he we just saw him previously in this scummy kind of tavern gambling with a guy to be able to afford a nice dinner. Like so playing chess. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. I missed the chessboard. I just so saw they're, the exchange. They're, they're, the playing, they're playing chess. Yeah. And, and Dio wins. And the guy grabs like a bunch of coins and just throws them down on the table haphazardly. But for some reason, he throws them in a manner where like if you throw coins on a table, they're going to skitter everywhere. <laughs> like everywhere. This guy drops coins like he defied gravity. Like it hit the table and then just stopped. Just, maybe they have heavy <laughs> coins and... Yeah, maybe nineteenth century England. I love that he then just like takes Dio's face and just mushes it into his veal parmesan because <laughs> he's like not so smart right. now, are you, kid? A twelve-year-old kid who's mushed his face into his dinner. Yeah, whatever. And then, and then just really ridicules him. He's like, yeah. "I bet you feel real smart right now, yeah. don't you?" And I'm like, dick. "Yeah, I just beat you at chess. You're like an older man, and yeah, you haven't and figured this to, out." I had to buy my dinner, but you know what? Don't I, don't feel bad for Dio, right? At all. Never feel bad for Dio. Because the first thing that Jojo does when Dio shows up is he's like, oh, you must be my new best friend, basically. Yeah. Jojo just comes up. He's like, oh, you're my new best friend. By the way, this is my best friend before you. His name's Danny, and he's a great Dane. And here he comes. Please pet him and don't be weird and, like, kick him in the face or anything. This is the moment where I almost hurled my iPad across the room in anger because, as a result, of Danny, this great Dane, running towards Dio. And, and this, is, this is what is almost comical to me, to the point where it hurt, is that Danny is just running around in circles yeah. as, jo- as Jojo is explaining to him, this is my dog. His name is Danny. He seemed a Danny's little... A great do- yeah. Danny's a great dog. And Danny's just still running around in tail. circles. And then on cue, he kind of comes over and just jumps and, and runs at Dio. And Dio does the unthinkable. He knee kicks, like high knee, like knee kicks this Great Dane in the face. Yeah. And the, the animation, the moment of this is very disturbing. Yeah, it really was. To see somebody too. KO a dog? Yeah. yeah, they went through with it. They didn't like, it wasn't like run and then you see a knee and then it cuts and then you see the dog just laying there. It was like, no, they, they showed him straight kick a dog in the face. Yeah. That was a little disturbing. But. That, I think it was a great way, you know, a classic way to establish a villain in a movie is to have him kill the hero's dog, like, straight up. And they're just like, ah, yeah. got it, that guy's the villain. So as soon as Dio does this, you know he's got it out for Jojo. What was bizarre to me was that, like, the father comes out, and he's just kind of like, oh, you're my adopted son now. Come on inside. I'm just like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. He has a great line. Um, he basically says to him, you both lost your mothers, and you're the same age. Oh you should God. get along well. Like... <laughs> That's how this guy thinks. You're, you're almost orphans, and you're the same age. Best friends. The incredible thing is that up to this point, you've seen, uh, you've seen Jojo uh, get his ass handed to him right. when he's trying to defend uh, Arena Pendleton. Right. 
you see Dio get his face smushed into this meal. You know, you, you see Jojo sort of living this life of luxury, and, and you see... Yeah, he's a spoiled kind of brat. He's not really a jerk about it. He's just No, he's spoiled. not a jerk about no. it. He seems to be sort of humble. Yeah. You know, but he, he's, he's, very, he's very well off. And you see Dio sort of in this moment where he's more plotting and planning. And so there are some parallels, like Dio getting his face smushed in, Jojo getting his ass handed to him, right. like in defense of this woman. And you think to yourself for two seconds, oh, you know what, maybe, they, maybe they're going to be really good friends. Sure. Maybe they're really going to relate to one yeah, another. Yeah, like a good antagonistic brother story, like the OC or something. Right, like it's, it's going to come together. Yeah. <laughs> like it's going to happen. And then Dio just like drop kicks this dog. And immediately I went into like, ooh, no, I am Team JoJo yep, all the way all right the way, now. No matter what happens. Fuck. And Dio Fuck actually gets, Dio. gets worse throughout the episode. Gets, like, there's yeah, no oh redeeming quality for him whatsoever. Every, every step of the way. He's essentially Voldemort at this point because he yeah. even has a moment where he's literally just like spitting on his father's grave. And that's like the moment he decides that he's going to turn his life around. He's going to be rich by any means necessary. And he's going right. to start by like taking down the Joe stars. Which is bizarre because he needs them to be able to get rich to begin with. Right. But and he ha- yeah. he's, I got to hand it to Dio. He's very cunning in the manner that he's decided to go about this. He really spends a considerable amount of time, and they do a great job of mapping this out, yeah. uh, of how miserable he makes Jojo look by comparison. You know, we're, we're introduced to some of the, the manners and some of the, the tutelage that Jojo is given and how poorly he's, or how, how much he's underperforming right. in these moments. And you really Compared see how Dio, well, yeah. right, you see how well Dio is doing. And Dio is crushing it. He's so you know, good and, at and math. He's great at eating. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's great at animal care. The crazy thing is, like, keep this in mind, listeners, like, through all these scenes, for the, maybe not the majority of them, but for enough of them, that creepy, creepy mask that was seen actually in the opening. This was seen in like the opening carriage crash. Yeah. That mask is still there. So it's like hanging it's in the, fo- it's in the its, foyer. It's in the foyer just hanging by itself off to the side, just stuck to a wall in the middle of it. And the camera every once in a while just wants to like look at that mask and not even follow what's going on. So keep that in mind because your eye keeps getting oh. drawn to it. Yeah. It, well, the one thing uh, we're, we're totally forgetting and missing is that, so the, the whole thing about the dog. Yeah is explained away because Dio makes the comment, oh, uh, it was a natural reflex. Right. The dog jumped at me, right. and I just snapped into it. This is cut to two seconds later when they're in the foyer of the house, and they're, they're walking up this, this grand staircase yeah. with the, this creep mask. They're going to show Dio his new room. Yeah. Yeah. And Jojo, to himself, thinks, you know what? This guy's kind of a jerk, but you know what? I can understand it. Like brother. a dog jumping at somebody. Yeah. And I'll let it go. I, you know, this guy is living with us. I, I, I want to be a gracious host, right. and I, I want to understand him better. Let me help by bringing his luggage up to his room. Sure. And you think to yourself, okay, maybe Dio's reflexes snapped towards the dog. And that's understandable. Some people don't like dogs. But to do that to an animal really feels inexcusable. But you don't know circumstances that people have had. Sure. In this moment, he, Dio again snaps and grabs Jojo's arm in such like a menacing way that you're you're hearing like what feels like bone snap in his wrist as he's crushing his arm and being like, "Don't you dare touch my bag!" Yeah, and it wasn't, nobody gets to touch my bag. Yeah, and it wasn't even that. He was just like, "If I want someone to take it, I'll have the servants do it." And he yeah. basically like puts him in a weird like reverse like chokehold and like like whispers in his ear real creepily it's just like a very dominant uh move in a dominant position that he takes over jojo so like I mean, you, it could have gotten real uh, sexy yeah, i'm sure there's fanfic out there oh i guarantee it <laughs> i guarantee this it. show but it, so uh. so for the rest of the episode it's basically jojo trying to get better and to be a gentleman and to live up to his father's expectations his father really only ever sees dio being awesome and jojo being a shit no matter what the situation is and then Jojo is trying to compete with Dio while Dio is trying to make Jojo completely miserable. Oh, so it, it, and he does it. Yeah. And he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, great of it. job. I mean, he, and, and when I say he's making Jojo look bad, it's not that Jojo is bad himself. It's that Dio has an entire smear campaign yeah, all mapped that out. he is running against Jojo. And it begins at the moment where you're introduced to this sort of outside in a field 
for some reason, boxing Yeah, some match weird amateur boxing have. thing, yeah. And JoJo, who actually looks like Little Mac from the Mike he Tyson's Punch-Out exactly series, like him, yeah. with like the red gloves. Yeah. Uh, he's getting ready to fight, and oh, lo and behold, the challenger has suddenly been switched, and it's Dio. Yep. And Dio pummels him, even to the point where you, you see, again, it's one of those moments where you get to see one of the characters sort of uh, menacing internal dialogues. Yeah, almost like a, like a Dio, demonic takeover of them. Yeah. Oof. And Dio explains to you that uh, as he's punching Jojo, he sticks his thumb out slightly and drives it into his eye. Yeah, he's a real dick. And just, and just sends Jojo flying. My favorite part of, of this whole thing was like when the ref was, first of all, he's just like, yeah, sure, you can come in and fight. Like, there's no rules here, really. He's like, and remember, the first person to get hit in the face loses. <laughs> that cracked me up. He's like, this is a terrible game. You get hit in the terrible, face, you, you lose. Game. Okay. So that was it. So it was, it was cool because um, Dio was showing like his skills off. He was basically just dodging every single one of JoJo's shots. And JoJo looked like he was a decent fighter at this point. Uh, but Dio just like completely hands his ass to him on a platter. And, and yeah. it's just, he, he does this, and then he tells all his buddies who are like celebrating with him, he's like, they're all like, wow, that was such a cool move. And he's like, I'll show it to all you guys. As long as you promise not to tell JoJo, he can't keep a secret. So then, yeah, like you said, he starts a smear campaign to like get all of JoJo's, possibly they were his friends. Maybe they were just like other kids in town who look like they're 25, but are only actually 13. The only thing I know is that Dio mean girls the fuck yeah. out of JoJo in this instance. JoJo kept just... trying to make fetch happen. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of blame it it's... on him. And so then we have this moment where, uh, you, where Jojo is hanging out in a tree and he sees some friends pass by. Yep. And it, 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 I don't know if there was something that was lost in translation for this because obviously we watched... Uh, Probably. <laughs> <laughs> there were subtitles for this, this episode. This moment where it is so, it's so fucking wholesome in the sense that when you want to make friends, you think to yourself like when you're a kid, this seems like a natural way. And Jojo is just waving his hand in the tree. And it's like, hey, you, you guys, hey, let me join in your fun. Exactly. Let's go do stuff. Let's, let's have a good time let's be together. Kids. And, they, and they just look at him and they're just like, ugh, what a snitch. What a squealer. And like, and what a squealer. And they, they hear him, and Jojo hears them and it's just like, guys, I've never squealed on anybody before. And they're like, whatever, rat fink. Yeah. <laughs> just like, 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 start they might as well away. just like knife him at that point because it's just like, it only took this guy showing up. And just, just pass that rumor around. And it basically, it's, at this point, like, JoJo's entire, like, social life has just crumbled. And he's feeling really low. Yeah. I mean, this level of character assassination for a young boy of 12, 13 years old, this has to be devastating. I mean, and this is hard. But to keep that in mind, there's, a silver line. There's, only, there's only one thing that I know that can help a 12, 13-year-old boy rebound. Girls are cute. Girls are super cute, guys. Girls are so cute. It was a cute moment, actually, though. I like, I like kind of how this uh, played out. So, well, to a point. It was very sweet. It was very sweet. Between those two, it was very, very sweet. What eventually happens is terrible and probably gets it's much worse awful. as the series goes on. So we, we mentioned earlier, Sean mentioned that JoJo stepped up when this girl named Irina Pendleton, who JoJo didn't know previous to this, was getting bullied by just, like, local boys. He stood up. He got his ass handed to him to the point that, like, he bloodied his handkerchief and then had to run away because he was embarrassed. Uh, she kept that handkerchief as like a memento of him standing up for her, which is sweet. But then she's also been kind of like following along behind him and kind of watching him on the sly, but too shy to like. Just, just creeping. Just creeping. Straight cute creeping. And then apparently like gathering a, a giant basket of grapes <laughs> for him to just like leave hanging on a tree, which was cute, I guess. Thinking about your grapes. So here, have some grapes. All right. <laughs> With your bloody handkerchief stuffed inside this basket of grapes. No, it was, it was I cute. I hope that she would have washed cute. it. I hope so. But I mean, I hope so too. back in 1880, it didn't matter yeah. how well you washed it. Maybe, maybe she got washed the it in puddle no, water. She, yeah, she washed it in tuberculosis water. Oh my God. She got the consumption. Everybody died at the end. Um, <laughs> no, but it's cute. You don't really get to see how they got together, but you get to see a nice little montage of like them spending time together as friends, first of all, and then like, like developing more of a relationship. And it's really sweet. And Jojo <laughs> is actually like happy. What do you got? Oh, no, it's that you have this really very adorable moment where the both of them are in, in the a, a lake. Yeah. And they, they, have, they both have the insane, they have the most modest yeah. swimwear on 
that really conveys the message of we're friends right now, but maybe down the well, road. Well, it also it also conveys the message of this is 1880s Victorian England, right, and right. we're in like full like hat on head, full body suit, swimsuit kind of thing. Like we're we're wearing more clothes now than we do uh, going to church on Sundays, kind of thing. <laughs> but it was cute. I like that. I like that. But the funniest thing, well, not not funny anymore, because this is where Dio gets a hold of this, and he's like kind of like monologuing to himself, and he's like. I don't understand. Everything I've been doing to make Jojo miserable is working, but he's still happy. And that's when he makes the connection that it's Arena that's actually making him happy. So what's a terrible, dastardly villain to do with this lady-in-waiting? Uh, he tries to force himself oh, he's straight. on top of her he straight at some does. point. He doesn't try. Yeah. He gets that kiss. No, I mean, I, uh, correct. And so this is, really, this is really a moment that is very creepy. So she's... There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this. Yeah. This... This was a this was a horrible moment, and I, I I know that they have to put this in there because it it inspires Jojo to uh, to combat Dio in a way that that's meaningful right. that sort of shows how much of a gentleman he truly is. But I, I just I don't know I like throwing yourself like at a, at a you know when you have these moments where our antagonist has to do something sexual to a woman. Right. And it's objectifying to begin with, no matter how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. This like really, this crossed, it's this crossed the line for me. There were these moments and you know, he confronts her. He grab like Dio grabs arena. And then he, to the point that she's like trying to like get away from him by like clawing his shirt. Right. Basically it got weirdly like bodice ripping though for, for a time. Yeah. There was some weird, stuff going on and so there is this struggle and then suddenly uh, in that moment he kisses her he kisses her and then he monologues about the fact that i've taken the one thing that you have probably wanted to give to jojo away from you i have taken your first kiss he's like even if i had to steal it it's mine it's mine i got your first kiss and the creepiest part well maybe not the creepiest but adding to the creep is the two buddies of him are hanging out by the tree. This is the worst. And they're just like idolizing him. They're just like, oh, I can't believe he did it. And oh, I wish I was Dio. And oh, this is amazing. And look how he's really going for it. Ugh. Now I wrote down the quote of what they said. Yeah, what they say, it was because it, it, it pans over to, these, uh, to this group of guys that are standing with Dio. These two guys that we've seen repeatedly as ancillary characters in the background. Right. Bullies. And they yeah. both look in amazement and make the comment with excitement. He did it. They were excited and impressed that he had forcibly kissed a woman that did not want to and that's not cool no. under any circumstance this guy's and this guy's like a weird combination of like voldemort and gaston like it's a strange <sighs> yeah yeah really he's not good is what we're trying to say and then and then arena is upset about this obviously so she kneels down and begins wiping her mouth and washing her her face with this puddle water and Dio gets so upset, but then he takes it another step further and he just hits a woman. Well, he, he, he gets upset w- not just because she's like washing her mouth out to say that like, oh, Dio's filthy dirty. They even make a comment. They're like, why is she washing her mouth out with puddle water when there's a clean stream like right over there? So she's even saying that like, like filthy excrement strewn puddle water that's been under like the, the cart path and the horse path is still cleaner than Dio, which I thought yeah. was a nice way of doing it without forcing it in like exposition that much uh, i still am a little miffed that arena really has like no agency at this point she's just kind of like reacting to everything but whatever i mean for setting up the story it is what it is but yeah that obviously pissed him off where he was basically just like oh okay you think you're that much better than me so yeah he slaps her backhands her across the face Ugh. so again this is the second time now that we have a moment where jojo comes to arena's defense now if we're familiar with the first thing gets his ass handed to him right this time we get a little bit of a different like we have a a little bit of a changed hero yeah you still get a moment where it's like dia's been waiting for him he know this is what he this is why he did it he knew jojo was gonna come the whole plan whole plan so jojo yeah he does come for him and at first it doesn't look like anything's really gonna change because dio is still pretty he's still pretty good and he, he manages to knock him down pretty good but then jojo has this moment where he's like I'm doing it for myself. I can't live in his shadow anymore. He's like, if I don't, if I don't win this moment, I'm going to spend my life in his shadow. He's like, this is his moment. He's got to do it for himself. 
He's got to do it for his own pride, and he's got to do it to fight for Arena and stand up for her. And then, and then it turns the table. Right. And we get a, so, a pretty cool action sequence there, I thought. We get a, we get a great action yeah. sequence. And the thing that makes this all the more rewarding is that the entire time that they're battling, this creepy stone mask is chilling in the background. Just watching. And, and is just secretly waiting because then there is a little bit of bloodshed. Yep. And suddenly and it's Dio's, I believe, see... right? I'm sorry? It's Dio's blood that's actually shed. There's actual blood that is shed that is splattered on top of this mask. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I, it was Dio's blood because I think that probably comes into play later on. That it was specifically would, his was, blood. Yeah, I would assume so because we get Dio's blood when JoJo just unleashes on him with a headbutt. We get a couple like you know vicious combos that he has to yeah, Dio's and, body. And Dio's fighting back too. He's like, there's no way he could have responded to that kick that quickly he's like shocked that jojo was like finding this strength to like fight back yeah, it was a pretty cool right. moment yeah yeah i mean it was great to see sort of that hero's evolution suddenly him having the power and feel empowered uh to move forward to be able to do something that he wasn't able to do previously and so for me this sort of was the the turning point in jojo's character where he moves from this sort of uh i want to say docile yeah. kind of frou-frou lad yeah. You know, spoiled little kid who has ideas of gentlemanly pursuits and things, but hasn't really achieved anything. Yeah, we've we've given Jojo now a reason to fight. Yeah. Now you mentioned that the the blood gets on the mask too, so it's important what happens to that mask at this point. Here's where the mystical, like the the creepy magical stuff, kind of comes in. It gets like weird alien face huggery. Yeah, like these claws just kind of like spring out from behind it, and it almost kind of like crab walks a little bit. Yeah. But then before anything crazier happens, uh, Sir Joestar pretty much stops the fight. And, and this is actually where I was a little bit confused because now we have two kids that are fighting. And, uh, and the father, Father Joestar, is like, kids do fight. But in this instance where he breaks up the fight, right. Dio has pulled a switchblade. <laughs> he's got a knife just straight out of a, like a hidden holster. And he's and ready to go at JoJo. I'm sorry, yeah. under zero circumstances, I don't care if I've taken in, you know, somebody who I owe everything to. No. If you suddenly decide that you're going to pull a knife on my own flesh and blood, nope. you're not living in this sweet-ass mansion anymore, buddy. And I'm especially not going to take your side of things, because he turns it on yeah. JoJo. He's like, JoJo, you were kicking him while he was down. Don't be a dick. Now go to your room. He rooms. did not <laughs> kick him. He never, and that was no, my question. No, it made no sense. Did I miss something? I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. I didn't see it. I, I that was frustrating that this, this father just had a very narrow view. Yeah. And I don't know whether it was his appreciation for his life that was saved by Marlon Brando or if it was some other backing that he had. But, like, oh, fuck. It was so frustrating to suddenly see a knife in hand menacingly being held towards JoJo. And the father's like, JoJo, this is all your fault. It, 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 it's like the... It's like the poor guy could just never win under exactly. any circumstances whatsoever. And I don't know if, if part of the, the father's reasoning is like that's he's trying to toughen him up because there's a point where he's like, look, I've been coddling you too long. You clearly are not ready for this world. So maybe he's trying to toughen him up more now. But I think both of them are frustrated. What's interesting is that Dio takes his frustrations out in a terrible way. This was so fucked up. And I want to make sure that we get to the end of this one and then have enough time to talk about the next episode quickly. Um, but go ahead, kind of walk us through what Theo did in his frustration. So one of the, the servants is sort of cleaning up a mess, and he throws some stuff into an incinerator that's outside. He lights a match, throws it in there, and begins to walk away. And as he's walking away, you see the incinerator begin to burn, and then suddenly against the, like the cast iron door yeah. that is closed on this brick oven, you hear kind of a thud, a thud, thud, and you hear this noise. And you don't know what it is at first. And you hear the servant go, oh, no, if somebody's in there, they could, they could burn a lot. They'd be burning alive. And then just walks away, which I found odd. Yeah, which was <laughs> He's so... just like walks off for a smoke. He's like, oh, there could be burning not, alive. Uh, oh, well, you know, union breaks. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I want the Teamsters on me. And so, like, you know, he just he bounces out for this, this cigarette. And then they come back and they realize that fucking Dio has thrown Danny Jojo's dog. Danny the, the dog. The dog burned alive in this incinerator. Oh boy. And then the, this... you realize that because they're burying Danny now. 
And the, I yeah. think the dad says something like, oh, he was pretty messed up. I sure didn't want you to see that. And then JoJo's like, Dio did it. And he's like, don't be silly, lad. Dio's not even come home from school yet. At which point they show Dio just kind of like demonically just like staring off into the distance at like a weird dockside or something like he was just gonna like go dawson's creek brooding yeah like for just no at, reason at like the seashore or something it, it was bizarre and then that's pretty much where the episode ends but they say that like on the next episode they, they're gonna jump seven years later and they focus a right. lot on the mask the outro i thought was really cool not just for the music but did you watch the outro yeah you get a lot of uh it looked like hieroglyphics yeah, it was really cool almost like mayan this... or um uh, right not necessarily egyptian but you get the idea with like the hieroglyphics and then it shows like a, a path of blood through a variety of these hieroglyphics telling a story which i thought was cool that by itself was like enough for me to be like okay i want to see what that mythology is all about i'm curious you've, you've sold me after this first episode yeah exactly right but now we're so, getting a little short on time anything else from that episode before we i just want to give you a kind of a brief overview of the craziness of the other episode that we watched here and i, I am so excited to hear this because i had some technical problems on my yeah. end and was unable to watch all of this episode so please dave but be- enlighten yeah me. before we get into it, i want because you did actually get to see a few of the characters and the difference in style so what was your kind of a quick compare contrast of the styles between the two different episodes it was this next episode was a hybrid for me between last week's Ultimate Muscle and the first episode of JoJo. Yeah, if they like... Like, realistic, but super roided out. Yeah, just overly, like, overly proportioned. Everybody was, like, super, like, weirdly, like, cut, but, like, heavy brows, heavy jaws, massive. Everything drawn to, like, really thick lines. I mean, like, the, the costumes and everything, just, like, everything had a real thickness to it that looked almost, like, tangible. It looked like... Everything was like big and stiff. Like it didn't look like the fabric would even move. It didn't look like you could physically move within the costume because everything is just like rigid. Like if they took off any of that clothing at any point in time, the clothing would also fight you. Yeah. Or you could just like take it off and like stand it in the corner because it would never <laughs> just like collapse. It's like a suit of armor. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and the main guy. So we're introduced to basically three characters. There's a woman who looks fairly normal, just like a weirdly thickened up version of uh, like Arena. There's uh, an older, blonde, bearded man with like blue, steely eyes and a trench coat. He looks like a brick shit house. Like the dude just looks huge, but you don't see too much of him. You just get that that feeling. And then you're introduced to this other guy who looks like Yu-Gi-Oh on steroids. Like years later, he looks like Yu-Gi-Oh has grown up and just been given HGH for breakfast every day of his life. <laughs> That's kind of like the the color palette yeah. and like the costume that he has looks like that. My favorite thing is that on one side of his collar, he just has a giant gold chain just clamped onto one collar and just like hanging loose for no reason it's just a fucking metal gold chain he's hanging and i'm talking like big like you would use this thing to like tie a ship up at a dock right i'm not talking like a little like lapel chain or like a like a tie clip i'm talking like a massive braided chain like an anchor yeah this dude is just like an anchor so sean how far how far did you get walk me through kind of like just briefly in the plot, what you what you kind of saw here. What is our uh, introduction Jojo, to this world? Jojo is in prison. Well, even before and... that, remember we have the like diving sequence. Oh my gosh, I'm... Oh, okay. So the, the thing opens up. We didn't get like a traditional theme song with this one, but it just starts with like, you basically just dive underwater and you're slowly coming upon the wreckage of this ship. And in the wreckage, you just see that one word on the side of like almost like a treasure chest or something. And it just says, Dio. Now we had watched this first. So we didn't know what the hell that meant. But now after watching the episode that we previously, you know, had just talked about, it's like, okay, some shit goes down in the earlier parts and something has to do with Dio at this point, which then cuts to like this, this back and forth of like this, uh, this very ornate, looks like a merchant ship. So like a three masted, but also steam powered merchant ship. And it's exploding. Like it's in the process of just like blowing apart. You don't know if it's in battle or what's going on, but it's just like in the process of blowing apart. Here's where shit gets crazy. You see these two arms just lift a jar into the sky, and it's got a severed head in it. Okay, I guess that's normal. Do you remember this? Did you see this part? I yes. Oh, okay. And then as you're li- as he's lifting the severed head, the eyes of the severed head open. And if that's not weird enough, his arteries just start crawling out of his neck and burst the glass jar that's around him and start attacking the man who's holding the jar up in the sky. So if you're, if you're wondering, 
uh, how different these two episodes are in their approach to story, you could not be more different. It's <laughs> fucking insane. It's way more <laughs> of like the the stuff that you'd see in like guts or like a, like an adult um, version of an animated of an anime, like like something that's made for adults. It's, it's like hyper violent. It's really hyper realistic as far as like the um, the design goes. Obviously not what happens, but with like just the design. So you see this head attacking the guy who's holding the head up and they're basically like coming to blows against each other and then it cuts out and then it cuts to the guy in the, in the jail cell. Right. So yeah, tell us about this jail cell quick. He's been released, but he refuses to leave the jail until he understands uh, something regarding the, the ghost or the spirit. He says he's got is... like an evil spirit that's possessing him and he's not going anywhere until he can figure out its true nature. And you have no idea right, what this so... means at this point. Right, and his mother is, is worried sick about him, and she calls his grandfather, and his grandfather comes to kind of talk him and convince him to come out of the jail cell. Right. And meanwhile, there's like a group of like really terrified gang members that are just like right next yeah. to him that they don't want anything to do with him. They're terrified They're of like, him. They're just cowering like, in the corner. I, <laughs> like, I don't know how we got this guy from Fist of the North Star in exactly. here. Exactly, that's exactly what it looks like. It's, like. it's that kind of like design, and then I'm assuming at some point that kind of like brutality too right it looks like these guys would like be dropping bombs because they just it's just how they're built so i'm excited to understand dave how crazy this okay so that's about as far as you got oh shit all right um whoa where do we go from here so give me the give me the 10 cent tour man so grandpa shows up right with with holly who i don't even understand i guess it's his other granddaughter his daughter i don't know it doesn't Mm. matter grandpa shows up all in his trench coat and it's basically just like, uh, Jotaro. This kid's name is Jotaro, by the way. Right. Jotaro Joestar, which you learn over time. He's basically like, Jotaro, get your ass out of the cell. I'm not going anywhere until I figure out the true nature of my demon. He's like, just stop screwing around. You have no idea what you're talking about. Come on out of the cell. So Jotaro's like, oh, you don't believe me? I'll show you. And he just like raises his hand. And the pistol from one of the guards who's standing on the outside of the jail cell, the pistol just like flies into his hand. So then he's holding the pistol out and he's pointing it at his grandfather's face. His grandfather doesn't really move, but everybody else around him is just like pissing their pants. They're just like, how, A, how'd you do that? B, what's about to happen? <clears throat> Jotaro then like takes the pistol, points it at his own head and pulls a fucking trigger. And you're just like, whoa, like it just is going to like commit suicide as your protagonist right there. And then in a, in a crazy bit of animation, he like his head flies to the side. And then the, once the dust clears, You see his hand, but like a weird shell, like a ghostly shell of a hand on the outside of his hand is holding a bullet between two fingers. So as he tried to pull the trigger, something else caught the bullet and was just like holding it there. So then he kind of holds it up and he's like, you see what I mean? And then at the same time, he's like, and by the way, he tells his grandfather, he's like, you're going to leave me alone and here's why. And he, this made zero sense. He hands his grandfather something that looks like a little bit of circuitry, and the grandfather holds his own hand up and realizes that his own artificial hand, the pinky, has been severed, and Jotaro, his grandson, has just handed him back the severed part of his pinky. I was just like, I don't know what the hell just happened. What the fuck? <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. And they don't even talk about it. He's just like, oh, my artificial hand. And he just puts his hand away like, well, no harm, no foul. So <laughs> at this point, Jotaro is still stuck in the cell, right? Grandpa's not done. He's like, well... I can't fight you on this, but I did bring along somebody who can. It's my buddy Avdol. Avdol looks like a fairly stereotypical kind of like African villager, shaman, voodoo priest kind of guy. And he's like, okay, Avdol, I want you to get Jotaro out of the cell. Uh, Okay. Jotaro does this crazy thing where he basically like summons the spirit. And here's where the exposition dump kind of comes in. They have these things that are called stands. So when I said make a stand earlier on, they have the, it's like a summoning of their own will. It's, it's a life force that represents, or it's, a, it's a, a creature of energy that represents their life force. So if you start to get weaker, this stand will get weaker and its abilities will start to fail. So anyway, Abdal summons this thing called Magician's Red, which is like a, a phoenix on fire with like the body of like a jacked up dude. Right? This big muscle phoenix with like a bird head. This shit is crazy. This show goes from zero to a hundred right out of the gate. Oh my god. So he starts battling with with Magician's Red and trying to like fight against uh, Jotaro to get him out of the cell. 
And then Jotaro's own stand manifests. That's what the spirit has been all along. So he thought it was some sort of like possessed demon, like a demon possession, but it's actually a manifestation of his own will. And mm. they struggle against each other. And then Abdal is like, oh, he's stronger than I thought. And then he looks over at the grandfather who's like employing him to get his son out of jail. He's like, you want me to, you want me to keep going? Cause like I can, I can keep going. He's like, yeah, fucking go ahead, go nuts. So they have like <laughs> this crazy battle between like there's fire and water and then uh, Jotaro's spirit like rips the steel bars from the jail cell and he like sharpens them to a point and he's about to stab this dude with it. And then Abdal is just like, no, we're good. I got him out of the cell. And Jotaro looks down. He's like, oh, I guess he tricked me because he has like stepped out of the cell at this point. It's such a bizarre Ooh. way to open this world up, but it was, it was really like powerful the fact that they... So it right is a bizarre this. adventure. Oh my god, it's a bizarre adventure. And that's not even the craziest part. All right, I got to get to some of uh, Grandpa's uh, dialogue here. So <laughs> <laughs> they go back home, right? They all go back home. The Joestar family is hanging out. And he starts exposition dumping at this point. So they say like, okay, you have this stand. You have it, an ability. Everybody else in the world refers to it as like ESP. But they're emerging because the entity known as Dio, who he calls like the embodiment of uh, darkness itself, darkness incarnate, because Dio has emerged once again. So he, t he talks about the story of like his own, the grandfather's grandfather, Joe, or I'm sorry, Jonathan Joestar. Joestar. Right? So the guy from the first series. They have like this epic clash that ends, I guess, on the ship. But what happens is Dio's head manages to somehow sever Jonathan Joestar's head from his body, and then Dio implants his own head onto jo Jojo's body. And the, what? The, yeah, and the way that they track this is the grandfather looks at, uh, at Jotaro and says, like, first he's like, Holly, show him the thing on the back of your neck. And he's got, like, a, a star-shaped birthmark right on the left side of her neck. And then the grandfather pulls his shirt collar back, and he's like, he's got one, too. And then Jotaro like weirdly turns his head around. He's like, oh, I never noticed that before. So everybody in the Joestar family has a star birthmark. Now here, it gets crazier. So grandfather says, I've got an ability of my own. I re recently found out I have a stand as well. It's called Hermit Purple. <laughs> what? It's called fucking Hermit Purple. It's just, no. yeah. It's just these brambles, uh. like these vines with thorns on them that are purple that form around his hand. And then for some reason, he flicks like a Polaroid at Jotaro. And he says, it's hermit purple. It's called, uh, I think it's called psychography. And he has the ability, yeah, it's psychography or psychography. Nope. He Jesus. has the ability to transfer like a mental image onto a uh, Polaroid. And it's an image of Dio's head on their grandfather's, his grandfather's body. And they can see that because the, the body has the star birthmark. So basically at this point, he's like, Evil incarnate has taken the body of our relative, our ancient relative, and is now walking around using his body. We definitely have to stop him. That, again, that's oh not the craziest God. part. So he's talking about his stand abilities, and he's like, he's, he shows it to Abdal, and he's like, can you tell where Dio is at this point? He's like, can you look at this picture? Because every time he uses his psychography, um, it shows Dio, but it doesn't show you where he is. Everything's dark in the background. And Abdal's like, no, I can't see it. I can use my abilities, but even Magician's Red can't see it or whatever. So Jotaro's like, well, let me take a look. And he uses his ability, and he, oh my god, I can't even believe I'm about to say this. He uses his ability. He finds something in, like, the, in the picture, and it kind of zooms in, but you can't tell what it is. It looks like <laughs> a cloud or a smudge or, like, a weird thumbprint. And he's like, oh, here's what it is. And he just, like, speed draws. Like, apparently he's also, like, a really super talented, like, sketch artist, because he just, like, speed draws. <laughs> It looks like that scene from um, iRobot where the fucking robot's going like and just like drawing in like yeah. that matrix like back and forth and, and sketching out a picture. And you're watching oh and you're just God. like, what the fuck is this? And he's drawing what looks like a bee, but it's a fly, right? So he's just drawing a fly. The, the man literally just drew a sketch of a fly. That's how uh, detailed it is. It's just a fly. Common, ordinary house fly. At this, po <laughs> At this point, Grandpa Joestar says, it's a fly. Well, in any case, let's send this to the Speedwagon Foundation so they can investigate this fly right away. <laughs> I, I, friends, I lost it at this point. There was so much that he said in this one sentence that my mind was just like overwhelmed. I couldn't, 
I couldn't even handle it. I just paused oh the computer. God. I laughed for a while. I wrote down whatever the hell he said. <laughs> the, the absurdity that you can just... And he faxed it. This is my favorite part. He faxed it. He faxed a fucking robot hand-drawn sketch of a fly to something called the Speedwagon Foundation oh. so they can find Stop it. where an ancient vampire head grafted to their birthmarked grandfather's body is currently existing. I, I just... I can't even... That's as crazy as the show got. There, there was a few moments at the end where they showed Dio's body. He was like, uh, he has a moment where he's like, oh, it, I have a feeling that the Joe stars are watching me again. So he can like feel them like messing with his mind with psychography. And as he's doing it, he takes like two of his fingers and just jabs them in a woman's throat that's nearby. And then just pulls his fingers back out. She falls to the ground dead, blood coming out of her neck. Because it's like a vampire's bite, but he just uses his fingers to do that right. and then it pulls back and you see like three or four more dead naked women just all around him with holes in their neck and then the last thing that you see is this woman shrouded in a robe drawing tarot cards one is for the grandfather i believe one is for dio and then the last one that she draws is for jotaro and that's it man i'm like what the fuck has happened in this show there's so much craziness that happens that i can't even i can't even begin to understand it so there you go, buddy. I, I know I didn't uh, even give you a chance to like respond and ask questions, but I have zero answers for you. So no, I'm 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 here with just my mouth like hitting the just floor the, the entire time, foundation. thinking to myself, whatever the uh, that is. Man, I can't believe I'm gonna can't believe I'm gonna be watching the show. I just want to know what Ario Speedwagon <laughs> has to do with this show. It's amazing. <laughs> well, if it's anything yeah, like Dio, yeah, apparently everything is drawn from like deceased rock stars. But th- there's a lot of crazy that happens. There's a lot of crazy that happens in one episode. So compared between the two, uh, very different pacing, very different feel to them. I think both probably worth watching just to find out what the hell's going on. And obviously it's a fairly popular story too. So I feel like it, it probably goes some pretty cool places. So I, I might check this one out, but what do you think? What's your take? I, I, definitely, I definitely think that I really I'm want you to just watch this. the other one that we watched. Just watch that whole thing. Just so you're just like, oh, I, oh yeah. I will, and you're going to get it's some weird text messages tomorrow. <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you for sticking with me for that last little bit of ramble. Um, hopefully you watched, you watched the episode well with us so you can enjoy the craziness. Uh, if you want, you can send us pictures of your own quickly hand-drawn flies, and we'll f- just fax them over to us. We'll just, just fax them to Dave. Yeah, just throw them in the air. Just uh, sketch out a hand-drawn picture of yeah. Night Ranger and yeah, send do. it over to Dave. Uh, at Dr. Claw MD <laughs> there, just lots on of Twitter. Those just, flies uh, get just be oh, Upload those on Twitter. Do. He'll love them. But speaking of that, Sean, buddy, <laughs> what do you have uh, coming up next couple of weeks you want to share with the listeners out there? Oh, boy. I, uh, I'm going to be competing in the 48-hour film festival competition that's here in D.C. with some of our, our friends of the show, Tony Lazzaroni and Jamal Newman. And we are going to be putting together a another... Uh, five, five to seven minute short film in the matter cool. of 48 hours. So if you're interested, you can check that out. Uh, DC 48 hour film festival uh, performing as always with Washington improv theater. You can find out tickets to see when Knox that's N O X exclamation point when they're performing. And with Washington improv theater, their site is wit W I T D C dot org. And as always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Excellent, Sean Paul buddy. Ellis, Dave, Oh uh, yeah, you, you can find up, me on Twitter at Dr. Claw MD, which is where I will be checking out all your fly sketches. Uh, you can also find me on Collider.com and Nerdist.com. And if you're interested, uh, I have some short fiction that's up on DaveCrumbore.com as well. If you're interested in finding out more about the show, you can do so at our website, SaturdayMorningCartoons.com. Remember, that's Morning with a U. You can also follow us on Twitter at MorningTunes. Check out Sean's handiwork and fly sketches on our Tumblr page, SaturdayMorningCartoons.tumblr.com. You guys have been great on our Facebook page. That's where we pulled this listener suggestion from. Uh, so thanks again, Patrick Cheney. Uh, I don't know which ones you've watched. Please let us know. Does it get crazier than this? Either of them? Uh, definitely looking forward to it. You can also... Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, artificial fingers crossed. You can also listen to our uh, episodes each and every week on our YouTube page or through iTunes and Stitcher. And if you'd like to send us a suggestion like Patrick did, you can send us an email, Saturday morning cartoons at gmail.com. 
That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, next time on Saturday Morning Cartoons, we've got one of my all-time favorites. I believe it's one of Sean's as well. We're going to be talking Cowboy Bebop. That's another one yeah. that uh, they take Can't a lot wait. of uh, inspiration from music, musical styles, and uh, uh, instrumentation over the, over the years, too. So we'll definitely dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Can't wait for all the jazz and the sweet, smooth sounds uh, of I love the seatbelts. Seat belts. Yoko, Yoko Kano, I believe, is the composer as well. Yep. Yeah, it's great. I mean, if you just sit back and listen to that soundtrack, it's a great day. But yeah, we're going to do it while watching them cartoons. And then after that, we're going to have a two-part, very special episode 99 and 100 for Batman the Animated Series. Definitely looking forward to that, guys. Oh, can't wait for but this. Yeah, you got a lot, of lo- lot to look forward to on Saturday morning cartoons. But for this time, just want to say thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.